Well, like I said, my name is Jeff, and it's my privilege to bring the Word of God to you guys this morning. But before I do that, I just want to share, because I'm still getting to know you. You guys are still getting to know me. I'm new. If, you, if you're brand new to the church, I'm, I'm fairly new. I moved down here in October. Oh, not down. Over. <laughs> I came from Mission. I moved over, not down. Uh, in October. And so I just wanted to share a little bit of information about myself that you might not know. I love lawn care, okay? I confessed it. I said it. I love lawn care. I love watering the lawn. I love mowing the lawn. I love edging. I love fertilizing. I love everything there is to do with grass, all right? Like, I love taking care of a nice lawn. The love of lawn is something that my dad passed to me when I was really young. In fact, his dad, my grandpa, passed it down to him. And my great-grandpa, who I had the pleasure of meeting, also passed it down to my grandpa. In the Kaiser household, lawn care is a big deal. We love a well-groomed lawn. My dad loves to be the guy in the neighborhood with the best lawn. He's always bragging about it. He got excited when he got to put in a sprinkler system a couple years ago. He's like, now my water is going to be on time all the time, and our grass is going to look so luscious. He's, he loves it. So I remember from a very young age that I've always wanted to mow the lawn like my dad. In fact, I think we got a picture of it. Yeah, right there. That's my dad in the back there. Yes, he had a pipe in his mouth, if you could see it. <laughs> And that's me pushing a little croquet set holder, like, <laughs> to mimic my dad, yeah. So I think I was the age of, I was about three at that time, and I wanted to mow the lawn. I'm not lying to you guys. I'm not making this up. This is true. I wanted to mow the lawn like my dad. I wanted to push that craftsman, non-self-propelled mower all around the yard. <laughs> you can see, um, it wasn't until I was the age of nine that I finally got that opportunity because I was finally tall enough and strongest to actually push that heavy mower. In fact, I was at that age, I wasn't even able to pull it where, push it from where my dad was. I had to use that little middle crossbar right there. And trust me, I spent all summer, you know, getting under there and pushing that mower. <laughs> my dad tried to let me help as much as possible. It wasn't until the following year that I actually like started to really mow the lawn for my family. And I also picked up a job mowing my neighbor's yard. It was great. My dad taught me how to keep a straight line, how to mow around trees without messing up my lines. He taught me to alternate direction to keep the grass standing up tall and straight all year round. My dad taught me how to clean a mower, how to take care of a mower so it would function properly. He taught me a lot about lawn care, and I'm glad he did. Someday, I hope, I will own a house again and I'll be able to exercise the expertise that my dad has passed down to me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm just signing myself up for lawn care service, right? <laughs> Pastor Jeff, a.k.a. lawn care specialist. <laughs> what did I just get myself into? <laughs> uh, uh, but my dad passed that down to me. But my parents and a lot of others passed down other things to me too. Like what it looked like to live for Jesus. What Christ looks, out, looks like. To live for Christ looks like on an everyday basis. Their desire to pass down their faith to me led me to who I am today. And this leads me to the, our text this morning in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12. But before we get there, I want to just kind of break, break down and give you a little background to the text. 
The people of Israel are ready to enter the promised land. They are physically camped out um, by the river Jordan, Jordan waiting to cross. And Moses is reminding them, he's doing a series of speeches in Deuteronomy, where he's reminding them of the laws and the commandments and the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. In fact, the word Deuteronomy in Greek means second law or second teaching. And this is because he's doing it all over again. Because Moses is basically trying to give them a pep talk. He's giving the Israelites a pep talk before they enter the land. He's challenging them to not be like their parents. Their parents rebelled against God's love, uh, rebelled against God despite his love and grace, which is why they've been wandering the desert for the past 40 years. Moses is challenging this new generation to respond to God's grace and love through obedience. Let's read Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord God directed to me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that you may it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing of milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land large with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then you will eat. And, and then when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is a pretty famous passage, and we can pull a lot of different things out of this passage for teaching. But there's three things that I basically want you guys to walk away with this morning. And the first is, leaving a lasting legacy. Just as my dad passed down a lasting legacy of lawn care to me, (laughs) Moses is calling Israel to create a legacy of responding to God's love and obedience uh, through um, God's love and grace through obedience for generations to come. His hope that is each generation will continue to pour into each other by teaching what God had commanded them to teach. While this passage is mainly directed at parents, I believe it transcends that, transcends that. It's really intergenerational. No matter what stage of life you're in, God is calling you to pour into the next generation. This is what makes Faith Covenant so great and is one of the many reasons my wife and I were so excited to come and serve this church. 
We want to be of a, uh, part of a church, not just of young families, but to serve in an intergenerational church. Look around you. Look how many generations are around here. I know there's almost sometimes four generations represented in this church. That's amazing. There's a depth and beauty when the body of Christ is represented by all generations. We all have wisdom to share with one another. We all have life experiences to share with one another. We all have areas in our lives that others can help us sharpen. Just as we read in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We're here to sharpen each other. By teaching each one another, we can help each other grow, and this is not dependent on age. I'm reminded of when I used to serve in Alaska as a youth pastor, one of my students taught me a lot about what it looks like to serve others. She was compassionate and very passionate about helping the homeless and the working poor in Anchorage. She took it upon herself her junior year of high school and began a meal ministry. She organized the ministry. She sought out uh, sponsors for food donations. And she organized the students within our ministry to help serve weekly. It was amazing. She sacrificed even her own money to make this happen, along with her time. She taught me so much about caring for those in need. And I followed her as she led in that area. Part of leaving a lasting legacy is imparting your faith to whoever is around, no matter what your age. We all have something to share with one another, whether we're 36, 86, or 16. We can all learn from each other. This is already happening in uh, some areas in our church, and I know it can even happen in more. One of those areas is, that I've experienced personally is our Sunday, or not Sunday, today's Sunday, Saturday morning Bible stu stu studies for guys. We meet every Saturday morning. We get together, we have some coffee and donuts, a short devotional, and then we go play basketball. And the, uh, the group age spans from 10 to 60. We got a lot of different people there. The, group, the youth that participate get a chance to see us men um, have conversations with each other, fellowship with one another, and they see our character on the court. It's a beautiful thing. This is how our faith is passed down. I had a similar experience that was very formative to my youth when I was in high school. My dad took me to a, a conference called Promise Keepers when I was a freshman in high school. If you don't know what Promise Keepers it, what it was... <laughs> It was a huge conference in the 90s for Christian men. And we lived in Colorado, and most of the time it was held there. We went with a bunch of his friends from church. Most of them were either truck drivers or construction workers. Of course, over several days, I watched these rough and tough man, men I looked up to sing their hearts out in worship, pray for one another, and even shed a tear or two. These men enfolded me into their group. I was one of them despite my age. These men continued to seek me out after the weekend-long conference. They left a lasting legacy by including me that weekend and making me a part of their group. We can all leave a lasting legacy by taking the time to pour into the next generation or pouring into those who God has placed before us. And the one way we can pour into the next generation is by modeling our faith. Back to the lawn care one more time. <laughs> My dad could have just told me to go mow the lawn, <laughs> but he didn't do that. 
He didn't do that at all. He showed me how. He showed me how to physically do it. I, might even, I may have been able to figure it out on my own eventually, um, but he showed me how. My dad took the time and worked with me as I learned. He had patience with me as I screwed up my lines, <laughs> and he taught me how to correct them. And even when I screwed up, he had grace for me. Because like I said, my dad was very meticulous about his lawn. <laughs> and so is true with our faith. We have to show people what it looks like to be in a relationship with God, to work with them, have patience with them as they learn, to give them grace when they mess up. I believe this is what Moses was getting at in verses 4 through 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 4 starts out with the word here. And this word here in Hebrew implies listening carefully and obeying. Both listening and action. These commands are not just to be heard, but to be integrated into our everyday lives. These verses that follow imply the same thing. We are told to love the Lord God with all our heart, all our soul, and all of our strength. With everything we have. It's just not head knowledge. It's just not Christian education. It's to fully encompass who we are. We are told these commands should be upon our hearts, that we should teach our children, that we should talk about them while we're sitting on the couch or while we're driving in the car or before we go to bed or when we're getting ready in the morning. These commands should be integrated in everything we do. So what does this look like practically? To answer this question, I can't help to think of my mom. As I was growing up, I always noticed my mom taking time to read her Bible. It would often be right after dinner before uh, coming down stairs to watch TV with the rest of the family. When I gave my life to Christ in junior high, it was my mother who helped me create a discipline of spending daily time with God. She encouraged me to spend my mornings before school reading my Bible. I didn't know where to start. I had never done this before. I just showed up to church with them every week, right? And that's what you do. But now my mom's telling me I, gotta, I should probably do this too since I gave my life to the Lord. And so I took her up on it. And she bought me a devotional, and every morning I'd grab a bowl of Fruit Loops, I'd go over to the kitchen table, <laughs> and I'd eat my Fruit Loops and read my devotional. I'd spend my day with the Lord while eating my breakfast before heading out to school. And my mom encouraged me along the way. And when I finished my devotional, she was quick to buy me a new one so I would stay plugged in. She was always there to answer questions that, when I didn't understand. But she was also humble enough to say she didn't have an answer if she didn't. My mom modeled having a relationship with Christ, and it was in, integrated into her everyday life. But it wasn't just her devotional life, it was also her choices. There's this really vivid memory, and I just talked it over with my mom on the phone this week because I just, this vivid memory that I have of my mom and us. And so I want to make sure I didn't like make it up, or <laughs> I want to clarify if, like all the details. And so we didn't have a lot of money growing up when I was a kid. My mom and dad worked um, fairly meager jobs. And so occasionally we'd have come across some money and my parents would love to treat us out to go into movies or out to dinner. That was like a huge treat for me and my sister. And so one afternoon, we had some extra money. My mom was going to take me 
and my sister and I to a movie, and we were so excited. So we jumped in the minivan, and we headed to the theater. We pulled into the strip mall where the theater was, and as we're pulling in, we notice uh, a mother and three kids standing outside of a station wagon packed to the brim full of their personal possessions. And the mom's holding the sign uh, saying that she needed money for gas. We saw that as a young kid that made an impression on me because I'd never seen young kids in a homeless situation. And so we drove past, and I'm just like kind of mortified of what I saw. And as we get ready to park over by the theater, my mom swings around, turns the car around, and drives right back to that family, hands them the cash that she was going to use for our movie, and we start driving home. I get a little choked up every time I think about this because my mom started crying too because <laughs> I know my mom put herself in that person's shoes and what she, having three kids and being alone, and made a huge impression on my life because I saw my mom not just talk about God and not just doing her devotions and showing up to church. I saw her practicing it and sacrificing on behalf of us for the love of God. And so she apologized to us on the way, and we were crying, but I was crying because there were these kids, right? <laughs> They're homeless, and I'm not. And I was just thankful that we got to bless them. My mom showed me what Jesus looked like that day by helping that family, and it impacted my faith greatly. And that's just not the only story. That's just one of them. So what keeps us from pouring into others? If that's what God is calling us to, if that is what the scripture is trying to impress upon uh, the Israelites at this moment and also to us, what keeps us from pouring out to others? I think there's a lot of answers to that question, but I want to focus on one of them this morning. And that is our time. We feel like we don't have enough time to walk alongside somebody. Time is often a commodity we don't want to give up. We're willing to write a check. We're willing to throw some money towards it. We're willing to do, throw out a social media post, but we're not willing to make the time. In a culture where busyness reigns, we are constantly moving into the next event or the next meeting. Most of the time, we don't even have time to pause and sit and have a meal with our family or our friends. We are in a constant state of hurry. When we add too many things to our lives, something has to be eliminated. Unfortunately, we often rid ourselves of the most important things, relationships, spiritual practices, and self-care. It's tough to pour into someone's life when you are completely drained yourself. God knows this quite well that our distracted and encumbered lives pull us away from the one thing we need most, him. We need to eliminate hurry from our lives. We need to eliminate hurry and become present. More specifically, become present to the present moment in all of its glory. Being present is needed in order to connect with God and to connect with each other. If we're not willing to set aside our some of the things that we got going on, if we're not really willing to make space 
to, in the morning or whenever you're able to spend time with God, we're not going to connect with God. And, we're, and then we wonder why. We're like, where are you, God? God's right there just waiting for us. Just waiting for us. We have to learn to say no. We have to learn to not be involved in everything. We have to learn to set aside time for the Lord and for the people he's calling us to pour our lives into. We can leave a lasting legacy by taking the time to pour into the next generation by modeling our faith. But last but not least, we can't forget what the Lord has done for us. Moses ends this section of scripture by reminding Israel not to forget what God has done for them. We read in verses 10 through 12, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land, large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat, and then when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget about what the Lord, uh, forget about the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Moses was concerned for Israel's newfound affluence and potential spirit of self-sufficiency and pride that would lead to forgetfulness of what God had done for them. This new generation could easily forget that they were not, to, not so long ago Egyptian slaves. How true is this for us today? When things are good, it can be easy for us to neglect our relationship with God. I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. Like, I'm good. I don't need my quiet time today. (laughs) Then something hits. (laughs) We're able to be self-sufficient, so we may not think that we need God. What's the purpose of God? I can take care of myself. When life seems easy, we may forget that it is God who has seen us through the hard times in our life. And when we aren't struggling, we can be quick to forget that God has brought us out of the bondage of sin that we were once so entangled to. We are called to be careful, or another way to say it is to keep watch, to not slip into the easy trap of forgetting what the Lord has done when things are good. Don't forget God in our prosperity. Don't forget God freed us from our bondage of sin. And do not forget This was all because of God's love and grace. We can leave a lasting legacy by taking the time to pour into our next generation, by modeling our faith and remembering what the Lord has done for each of us. So I want to encourage you guys this morning to take some next steps towards this, towards leaving a lasting legacy by pouring out to someone. Maybe it's slowing down enough to be present where you are, Maybe it's eliminating some of the things in your life so that you can pour out to the next generation. Maybe it's using your time differently. Maybe it's just sitting, getting into the habit of making time for God every day. Maybe it's for volunteering here at church with kids ministry. Like we said, we got a kids ministry. We need some volunteers and we got to come see event next week. So join us. <laughs> it's a great opportunity to pour into the next generation. Or maybe God has placed somebody on your heart as we've been talking this morning, that he wants you to reach out to personally, to pour out to. But whatever it may be here for you this morning, whatever you are taking away, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, I don't want you to just sit on it. I want you to act on it. I want you to act on it today. So as you leave, 
Don't forget what God has done here. Move forward to what he's calling you to. Let's pray.